Welcome to the Leading Ladies Podcast with international leadership coach, speaker, author, trainer, and your host, Fiona Mackay. The Leading Ladies Podcast shares stories and advice from women around the world who have successfully navigated the glass ceiling. You'll gain powerful insights into strategies for cracking the glass ceiling, embracing your self-worth and value, and advocating for yourself and others. So please join Fiona for frank, courageous, and heartfelt conversations designed to take you on a journey to new levels of personal and professional success. Welcome back, everybody. This is season two of the Leading Ladies of Podcast. And I am so excited to have you back listening, and especially with today's guest. Today, we have an absolute firecracker of a woman joining us. We have Angela Ambrose. Vice President of Government Relations and Communications at GM Defense, a new startup inside of General Motors. They're returning to defense since a brief hiatus in 2003, and they're up to some really exciting work. Angela is also the Interim Vice President of Business Development. So as many women, she wears multiple hats. And her job history is pretty damn impressive. She has worked within industry. She's worked in the intelligence community. She's worked in the Department of Defense and on Capitol Hill. I am super impressed and super excited to have you here today, Angela. Thank you so much, Fiona. It's wonderful to talk to you, but even more so to talk to the leading ladies of defense. I think what's really awesome about today is, you know, we're going to talk to leading ladies of defense, but women around the world, whatever industry they're in, will really benefit because we're going to be talking about negotiation. And that is a great topic. It's one of my favorites. I certainly love to support anyone that's looking at how they can negotiate better or how they should be negotiating to make themselves uh, the best value that they can bring to any agency, any government, any office, any role. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, before we get started with negotiation, I'm going to ask you one of my favorite leading ladies questions. Okay. What do you think about the glass ceiling? Does it still exist? I think, unfortunately, the glass ceiling does still exist, Um, but I'm very hopeful that we are on a path to um, making that crack a little wider and ensuring that women are compensated the way that males are in any industry across the globe. But most importantly, and and what I'm passionate about is making sure that happens uh, in all things defense. Fantastic. And um, what was the moment that you realized that you had broken or at least made a few cracks in that glass ceiling? Yeah, I would say that for me, the first crack was when I was leaving Capitol Hill and I was going to the Defense Department. My only experience at that point in my professional career had been working on Capitol Hill. And for anyone who's in the States who has a relationship with our government, specifically our legislative branch, you know that those salaries are Um, not very coveted. And when I was departing to go still as a civilian over to the Department of Defense, um, I saw a $30,000 pay increase from a Friday to a Monday. I left work on a Friday and on a Monday I was making $30,000 more. And to me, that was the largest crack that I could ever even fathom at that time in my career. And it really changed the game for me. $30,000 is 
Um, in the grand scheme of someone that's making millions, nothing. But in the grand scheme of someone who's making certainly under six figures at the time, um, it was life-changing, altering. I could get a different apartment. I could probably pay for a different car payment. I didn't have to feel like I was living um, you know, in this month-to-month world. And so it was the biggest crack, the starting crack, I would say, um, that I continued to push open throughout the rest of my career. I love that. And so that helps us to transition nicely into today's topic, which is about negotiation. And so I guess my first question is, is, you know, what makes you so passionate about this topic? I think that there's a a level of equality to me when I'm thinking about negotiation. And, um, you know, a topic that is near and dear to my, my heart is certainly your value proposition and being an authentic person and, and bringing forth your, your best self to any role. And I think that women undervalue themselves more so than maybe, um, you know, we sometimes put the blame, I will say, on other people to say, oh, I'm not getting the salary, but my male competitor is, or I'm not getting that salary, but my peer who is a man is. And, you know, my first question is, are you asking for it? I can, I can tell you distinct points in my career where I took the bull by the horns and went to my leader and said, I need to have a salary adjustment. I need to be paid according to those around me, those in my field, those at my same pay grade, et cetera. And I really had to be an advocate for myself. I know my value proposition. I know what I bring to any organization that I'm working for. And when I depart an organization to take on a new role, I certainly know what I'm bringing there. And so to me, negotiation is that first step of what is this relationship going to be like? What is our culture going to be like when I come into your organization? Am I going to feel like an equal? Will there be equality? And and to me, that all starts at the position point of negotiation. It's before you even walk into the door. And so I'm passionate about doing it when you're taking on a new role, but I'm also passionate about ensuring that you're bringing um, your value forward and you're advocating for yourself once you're within a role. Because a lot of people spend their entire careers I mean, as you know, I work at General Motors. So a lot of people spend their entire careers at GM. Um, these women need to advocate for themselves as they, as they take on new, impressive um, roles throughout their career if they want to spend their life there. And I think there's something very positive to be said for someone who wants to be in an organization for their lifespan of their working world. For me, I, I tend to see the next opportunity um, and when that presents itself, want to move into that role. But you know, I, you have to be able to tell that story, whether you're somewhere for a long time or you're going somewhere every few years, or um, if you need to take those steps up the ladder. Yeah. And so how did you apply some of that when you took this job with a $30,000 pay rise? Right. So I think knowing your value um, in some of these worlds, you can look at certain websites and they might tell you this is the kind of role. It, certainly in the government, it's a little easier. That's that's the truth because um, your roles are public, um, your pay grades and your steps in order to, to make the next, next higher grade and kind of the rules behind um, what the government can do for you, where you equate given education or experience or time in the military, et cetera. Um, but everything is negotiable. And the worst that can happen is they say no. I've told a lot of folks that have asked me, you know, over the course of of my career for some help in negotiation, 
if you're still going to accept the job, the worst that likely will come back to you is we're going to go with our original offer. It is very infrequent that if you ask for something, they just pull the job or say you're not the right candidate. I mean, maybe if you're a million dollars in a different direction, but if you're talking about something in a similar um, in a similar path and they're on the right trajectory, folks are going to come back to you and say, I'm sorry, I can't get to there, but I, but, but our original offer stands. And so I recommend to people all the time, if, if at the end of the day, you make a dollar more than they offered to you, you're going to feel like you were victorious in that conversation. Certainly you're probably looking for more than that. But it's not always about dollars and cents in your salary. It could be about a sign-on bonus. It could be about, um, you know, a one-time cash advance at the end of the year, whether it's in stock. Um, it could be about the percentage of your bonus. It could be about an agreed-to cost of living adjustment at the end of the year. Um, and, it, and it could be about um, paying for school. It could be paying off school, some of your student loans. And it could be anything from leave time, whether it's sick leave or, or paid time off. You know, if you're... If you're someone that has a family, you don't want to start at a new role and have no time in the bank. If you are a person that loves to travel, as I love to do, I certainly don't want to go somewhere as an executive and have no time um, in the bank. So those are all different position points that you can have. At the end of the day, as the employee, um, and well, for the company as well, but as the employee, that all equals your total compensation. The amount of time off you have, your, um, you know, all of your benefits that lead into that, in addition to, um, like I mentioned, school and the like, but certainly your salary, the ability for increases in your salary and any bonus structure at all, total, all in total is a total compensation. And I think so often people look at dollars and cents and that comes to salary and or bonuses and they don't look at the full picture. And sometimes that value is actually much more um, valuable to you as the employee. Absolutely. I was in a similar situation a few years ago where I was uh, offered a job at a company and um, the base pay was slightly low, what I'd, what, slightly lower than what I've asked for. And so um, I went back and I, I tried to negotiate on vacation days and negotiate on bonus. And so they actually gave me an extra share of Rona, which is return on their assets. And so the, the, the actual increase that I ended up get, getting was actually greater than, than the differential uh, in the base salary. So I totally agree with you about different ways to um, you know, extract that value. But it's, it was scary. It was a scary conversation. It's it always, that's weeks. it. It's always scary. And you just have to be patient. I think people don't also understand that, you know, the person that you're probably dealing with in talent acquisition, there's also likely a human resources element to that role. They might slow up. Um, but there's a hiring manager and the hiring manager is at the end of the day, the decision authority. The talent acquisition can tell you this is, or they may know, I should say, this is the range for that role with HR. Um, but at the end of the day, you're negotiating with who's going to be your boss when you come back in. And, you know, the person that you're talking to during your negotiation has a day job. They're probably talking to a lot of candidates for a lot of different roles. And so if they don't get back to you in two minutes, I think uh, more so women than men immediately send another note that says, you know, if that's too much, I will do this instead. You never want to negotiate with yourself. You have to negotiate with the company. Um, you want to want to bring your best foot forward and see what they're willing to pay. And, you know, I think General Motors, for for instance, I certainly don't want to speak on behalf of the 
company, but when I went through the process, they said, we want to make you a competitive offer. We want to come to you with what we think is fair market value, and that is competitive across the board. But I didn't change the fact that I'm, I'm an individual and I take what they consider as fair market value and, and uh, similar across the board. And I need to make sure that that fits with my life. And I wanted to make sure as I was leaving um, Accenture that I didn't leave any money on the table. You know, if I'm leaving in the middle of a year, that means I'm missing out on half of a year's bonus. If I'm going to a new company and I'm going in it halfway through the year, that means I'm missing out on half of the bonus that I would be eligible for there. So in essence, I've really, you know, lost out on a decent amount of bonus. And so that needs to be either a payout from where you're departing from or a pay into where you're going to. And, and all of those things are, are up in the air when you're looking at, again, you know, what you need to make as your total compensation, where it makes sense for you to make some of these puts and takes. Because sometimes um, it's more important for people to have dollars up front than it is to worry about the salary. Some people say salary is compounding. So if I make more in my salary and less than say a sign on bonus or less in a percentage of bonus, when you compound it over the years, um, you're growing that at a faster rate. But say you're young, you're 25 and you think I'm only probably gonna be at this company. I wanna go there. I wanna get the experience two to three years, but I'm, I know I don't wanna live in this town anymore. I'm gonna move. Well, that's probably more important for you to have more money in the bank, um, some form of a sign-on bonus or something that, that you can then take with you or a long-term incentive that you know pays out at the end of that two years so that you've made the dollars that you need in order to move on. Um, and like I mentioned at, at the top of this conversation, some people spend 20, 30 beyond years in one organization or um, they may be coming from the military and transitioning in and it's a completely new world, a completely new environment and you just have to know your worth so if you're moving internally in a company uh knowing your worth knowing your value knowing what you're bringing and negotiating along the lines and when you're taking some of these big jumps and, and moving whether you're at the beginning of your career or towards the end of your career it's, it's talking about your value and what you bring forward you're not one of many you are one you are the individual that they're hiring for the role absolutely you've made it through that interview process you are valuable and I liked um, the, the points that you made about people being at different points in their career. I think that employers need to start rethinking their packages because it's not fair to expect that the current generation coming in wants the same sort of compensation packages that previous generations did because our youth have grown up seeing environments where there's lots of layoffs, you know, we've got the gig economy. And so I think that a lot of the upfront stuff is probably more important to them. Um, I've worked at a few companies where, you know, people stayed and stayed and stayed because of the great retirement plans, particularly in the UK. Right. But I don't think people can rely on that anymore. And so I think companies need to get smarter about how they do it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think time is valuable and time equals money. Let's not kid ourselves. So I think dealing with some of the youth and dealing with folks, you know, that want to just have a Friday to hang out with their kids at the park. It is fair to say, I want to work a 980. It's, I mean, we've seen doctors and nurses and first responders working shifts. We've seen folks in the union that work shifts, you know, through many different industries. Um, I think if COVID has taught us anything, we we can do our work from wherever we are. I am not in my home right now and I'm on this call and engaging with you. And I haven't been in the office for 
a while yet. And, you know, I don't think that my work is faltering. In fact, my workload is growing. And so having the understanding of this is, this is the value that I bring, and this is how you can provide value to me. It is just as important to impress those that are hiring you for them to impress you. It has to be the right environment, the right culture. There's so much that goes in to the process of taking a new role. Um, and negotiation, negotiation, in my opinion, is clearly one of the larger pieces of that. But negotiating on on that fit piece is, is not necessarily dollars and cents that you're going to see in your paycheck. But if, if it aids to you being happy, um, if they let you work from home every Friday and Monday so you can travel, um, maybe your kids are somewhere else and you need to get to them or your partner lives in another city and you want to take the train, you know, there's so many different variables that we can throw in, uh, you know, you want to travel and you want to be in Hawaii, but you're based in DC, as long as you're willing to work the time difference, you know, there's any kind of number of things. In fact, um, someone on my staff, her, her um, partner is uh, from Australia. And one of the things she negotiated when she came onto my team was we spend a month in Australia. And I need to know that if I am there, like that's not going to, tr you know, tr I'm not gonna have the trade off of spending a month there where she will be working, not taking PTO. Um, that the trade off won't be about my value to this team. It won't be about, you know, my uh, trajectory and, and my growth and my performance that I'm willing to put in the time. I'm willing to shift the hours. Um, I'm willing to do the work, but you know, this is, this is very valuable to my life. And so I need to make sure that um, it's something that you will be accepting of as, as my boss. And, you know, I thought about it for a minute, but the truth of the matter is she can do her job anywhere. She doesn't live in DC, which is where I live. And um, we're probably not going to be in the same office every minute of every day, because we're not going to be in an office for quite a while yet anyway. So I had to go back and think, it's valuable to me that you're willing to travel when I need you to, if I need you to be in DC, or if we need to be in Michigan together, where, where we have a lot of our presence for GM or in North Carolina, where we're standing up a production facility, as long as you're willing to get on a plane to be a supporting member of this team, then I'm going to be a supporting boss and doesn't matter where your homeroom is, whether that's in Australia or uh, in Chicago or wherever it may be. I really appreciate that example. Um, me and my husband, we were long distance, um, moved to Seattle in 2013 and in 2014, I thought I'd make my life just a little bit more complicated by uh, dating a guy who lived in Arizona. And so um, his boss was was very supportive of him, you know, working remotely. And he's been approached by countless companies because he's pretty awesome at the programming that he does. But he stays with them because, you know, they might not be the most competitive salary wise, but the benefits and the understanding they mean the world to us. So we feel a lot of loyalty towards that company because of that. Absolutely. And I think people find that value and they will find, they, the company will find value in him because of what he's offering to them. So if you're good at what you do, it doesn't matter probably where you are. I mean, you can't do machine work if you're not where the machine is. So that's a little different. I understand that there are all kinds of jobs in all kinds of places, but for, for anyone that works some form of, white collar government behind a computer screen role, I think, you know, we're learning that we can be pretty much anywhere as long as you're putting in the time because we're, we're going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But on the flip side, you know, those that aren't delivering or aren't dialing in or aren't online, um, that levels up to leadership too. And then the value proposition they're bringing isn't the same. So in 
out goes them and comes a new negotiation, right? Absolutely. Um, that's just as critical. Yeah, totally. Well, switching to the topic of um, women and negotiation, do you think that negotiation is harder for women than it is for men? That's a great question. I don't know that I would um, argue that it is harder for women, but I just have never heard a man really undervalue what he brings to the table. If anything, they're overly confident. In fact, um, I said in an interview uh, very recently um, for, for a role uh, at our company that would not be reporting through me, but uh, as a person on the hiring panel. And this person was so overly confident in, in their ability to what they could bring to the table. And I really had to go back to the position description to see, did they, can they actually do this job? Because they're so confident, I'm believing that they can, but their background would show me maybe they can't. Um, and it was um, it was a, a male contender. So I really wonder sometimes if if women present themselves in that way. I think also um, women are a little bit more fearful to ask for the moon and shoot for the stars. I think men, you know, ask for planets and the galaxy, and then they get pretty happy when they get the moon and the stars, right? So it's a little bit different. We, we have a tendency to look for what is the next thing. And I tell people when they're searching for jobs, apply for something that's junior to you and apply for something that's senior to you. And sometimes you'll meet in the middle and sometimes the junior job will elevate up. And sometimes if you get you know through the selection process of the senior job, they might need to level it down. But that doesn't change the fact that you're going after the type of role you want and you can negotiate for titles, for salary, for bonuses etc. Um, I just give a personal example there. When I was leaving the intelligence community and I wanted to go to a defense crime, it was very important to me that I went in um, to, to industry. I wanted to understand how it worked from the inside. Um, I applied for a job at Northrop Grumman, great company, and, and knew as a kind of leading defense organization, I wanted to be a part of it. I applied for a job super junior to me. And I made it all the way through, go in and have the interview in person. And um, the woman who in the end would be my boss, and I read your resume and I liked how we interacted on the phone in our kind of clearance call. And I just wanted to bring you in. And just so you know, I'm not going to hire you for this job, but I'm going to, I have a billet I'm going to open that is a, is the manager of this job. So I'm going to hire you for that. And I'm going to reopen this role that you are currently interviewing for. I'm going to let you hire your own person. And I would have never had that opportunity. I would have never met that person. I would have never probably gotten to Northrop had I seen that opening if I hadn't gone in for a junior role just to see. And listen, I'm not advocating for anyone to waste anyone's time. Only do it if you think there could be some value there. You know, I don't want um, all the talent acquisition folks in the world to hear this podcast and say, she's crazy. <laughs> Thanks for, thanks for uh, making our jobs harder. I don't mean that, but I do mean that there, there is the ability to flex. You know, I've got a couple of roles on, on my team and we're trying to determine how do we want to level that? Well, how we actually level it internally and what the title is that we posted it for externally, a little different. Um, and it'll be based on the resumes that come in and who's qualified at what level and, and, um, and make sure we put people in the right bucket. So applying for things that are above you at your grade and maybe, you know, half a step below you to figure out where you could where you could roll in and, and know that it's certainly worked for me. Um, and I know that it's worked for a lot of others, but, but having those conversations are really important. Definitely. There's, a, there's been a few um, women that I've provided recommendations for when they've gone to 
um, some companies and I've known the hiring managers and um, they've ended up in, in, a, in a similar situation where, you know, they've either been promoted above what they were applying for or they found a position that is more appropriate for their level of experience. And so, I mean, I personally think it creates a win-win because even if somebody is applying and, and, and both parties learn that this isn't a right fit, it might just be a, not the right fit right now. Absolutely. But then that company's and, aware of you and that company's got access to new talent for when they do need it in the future. And it's growing a network. I can't tell you how many times I get pinged on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'm interested in government relations, but I don't, I've never worked on Capitol Hill. What do I do about that? I'm interested in working at the Defense Department or in the Intel community, but I don't have a clearance. How did you go about those first steps? All of these things are questions and sometimes you don't know who to ask. And if kind of going back to the negotiation piece, it's we're a little bit more emotional and we're like, oh gosh, you know, uh, should I reach out? Should I send that LinkedIn message? Absolutely. Ping me. If I don't have time to ping you back, I'm not going to. But the likelihood of me saying a one-liner or a two-liner, I, I will absolutely do that. And, and I have met so many of my peers and those more senior than me and more junior than me that are definitely starting to take that approach because it's all about growing our network and if I need to hire a few more people in the next year, which I will, I want to ensure that that network is, is out there and growing so that I'm not, you know, putting out some, some position description that, that no one's going to come to. You know, I want to get great talent. Everyone does. And it's kind of figuring out as you take these next steps in your roles, where do I want to go? Does this make sense? Can I have this conversation? I think that's actually how we got in connection with each other, just kind of pinging through LinkedIn and and I'm seeing great things that you're doing with leading ladies of, and I want to be a part of that. You know, that's not necessarily about my day job, but it does bring value to defense writ large. And, and I want to do that um, outside of my traditional role as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I think there is a lot that our male allies can do to support women in, in, in terms of negotiation and, and pay. Um, I actually really learned a lot, a lot from a, a former manager so when I was promoted to my first management position it was a double jump you were supposed to get to a certain level before you could become a manager but they let me do a double jump and so he actually went back because HR were limiting what he could pay me so he he went to the senior vice president and advocated and said you need to pay Fiona a double increase because she's worth it and that really like set something off in me you know I am worth it I do deserve it and my god this man has just stood up for me I am so grateful and like he's my favorite boss ever I think of him every day I haven't seen him for years um but he was really important to me so I'm curious what support have you had in in learning to negotiate and who do you go to for tips and tricks when you've got a big negotiation coming up so I definitely have, I would say, a pool of mentors that I've had in my life from my very early days on Capitol Hill, um, because I was very poor and um, I needed some help in thinking kind of what the next steps would be as I moved on or moved up. And they really gave me some great insight. Um, but in my, you know, recent, more recent years of my career, I also have a great amount of mentees and I want to have just as many conversations with them, kind of managing down as I manage up and and, and have those, those types of calls. Um, and when I'm thinking about new opportunities and where I want to go in my career, or is that something that I want to entertain? I really do kind of float that out to my network. 
Um, and my network is, in this case, you know, very much focused on my career. I am very driven in one specific um, avenue. And I knew in my career that I wanted to spend time on Capitol Hill and understand it from the inside. Once I was there, I knew I wanted to be inside of the Department of Defense and understand how it operated. Once I was there, I knew I wanted to go to the intelligence community because that was a different element. And I really wanted to understand what was kind of behind the curtain that I couldn't see otherwise. And then I wanted to come out into industry serving, you know, at one of the top aerospace companies really showed me, you know, how do you perform when you are trying to get a program through? How do all of these decisions that, that are happening inside the Intel community and DOD and, and with Congress, how does that drive your business? What does that shape it? Um, then I went to a tech company and I thought, wow, back office support, that's very interesting and valuable. But for me, I'm kind of more in the defense space of getting things in the hand of the warfighter, both important, but that was my drive to kind of come over into this role at, at General Motors Defense. And all of those decision points were hard. I liked where I was and I was advancing and I was a top performer and I was growing, um, you know, my, uh, you know, my savings account and all of those good things that came along with it. But I wanted to take steps that moved me forward also as a person or expanded my net, my, um, my workload. You know, I've been in government relations for a very long time coming, as you mentioned at the top of this, uh, coming into GM defense, I also took on communications and now I think for a short time, but I'm the interim business development lead. And so that's changing. I'm now dealing with the media, dealing with marketing, dealing with branding. I haven't done that as the head of a department previously, and now dealing with business development, reaching back into a department that I came out of and growing a customer base and engagements. It's allowing me to do something a little bit different and unique and expand my portfolio. It's a very long explanation to say all of that has been in defense and intelligence and national security, right? That's my bubble. Um, but I work at GM. So a lot of people came to me at the beginning and said, Angela, are you going into the auto industry? I'm very confused. What is this career choice you're making? Um, you know, you're going to General Motors, this huge mammoth OEM. And, um, you know, that's not what's right for me. I think GM does amazing things. But if tomorrow they came to me and said, GM defense is no more, but we want you to go work on trade policy, it's probably not the right role for me. Um, and I think you have to know that about yourself. And so the mentors that I'm talking to all the time and the mentees that I'm talking to, they're asking me those questions and I'm asking them questions about it for me so that we can kind of come to a consensus of you've got a plan. You've got to check some boxes on that plan as you're driving down this avenue um, to get you to where you want to be at the end. At the end of it, where do you want to be? I mean, certainly I'm going to be happy. I want to enjoy where I'm working. I want to enjoy who I'm working with. But I am mission driven. I want to work in defense. Um, and I and I love that cross section of kind of government business. Um, that's that's really where I where my sweet spot is, but specifically for, you know, defense matters. And and I've been offered some jobs along the way that just didn't make sense. Would have been great financially, but didn't make sense. And um, you know, would have really taken me earlier on in my career down a different line where I would have probably worked more in communications or um, marketing, but it just wasn't the right time then. And it is the right time now. And so, you know, that network is just, to me, critical. And I hope that others are building their networks as well. And how have your mentors helped you specifically with negotiation? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. I, I think what I've specifically asked is, is this doable? Does this sound ridiculous? And one of the best pieces of information I got was, you know, always go in with two different options. And I thought, why would I go in two different? I want this. This is the amount of money I want to make. Why do I need to go in with two? And they said, because you just don't know what pots of money the dollars are coming from at the company yet. You haven't been there. You don't know many people there. And so make an offer that in the end is really the same amount, but it's two different options. That was probably the best best counsel that I had gotten from a mentor where it was here. I want a larger sign on bonus and maybe less in a, in an annual salary here. I want more in an annual salary, less in, um, less in the bonus. But at the end of the day, it kind of equals the same amount of money, which is at my, in my vantage point, all I could see was that bottom line. Um, and, and, you know, it was a, a, a male mentor came to me and said, Angela, if you, if you understand where the dollars are coming from, you can get to that, that dollar amount but you don't know where the dollars are coming from. So give them some options that get you to the same end result that you are going to be happy with, but that they can make it work for you. And I've taken that forward in lots of different negotiations for myself and have counseled you know, some of my mentees in the same way. And I think that it brings a lot of value, which is something I would have never thought about before if my mentor hadn't brought it forward. Yeah, that's actually only something that I've learned recently. Um, I obviously run my own business. And so when people come to me to for um, either coaching or to, for support with business development, I actually present different options to them now because it just works differently for different people. And it's been received well by, by the people that I presented it to. And it means that there's more opportunities for me to work with different people. So I totally agree. Go in with different options is a great piece of advice. Well, Angela, I could talk to you all day long. And this keeps happening with my podcasts. I'm like, I could just talk to these women for hours. Um, but I know that you're a busy woman. And so before we wrap up today, I've just got a couple more questions for you. Um, so what advice would you give specifically to women about how to prepare before a negotiation and how to carry themselves in a negotiation? I would really encourage them to do some research. Um, you want to understand a title and one company means something very different in another company. Um, so you might think I'm going into a director level role and a director level role has a different salary cap here than there. But, you know, do some research, really understand what you think um, the company can offer to you and, and kind of go in that way. I think the second thing is be prepared. Know what your top hope is and your bottom ask is. And when you know when you have hit your bottom, do not continue to negotiate. Um, if they can't make it right for you and it's not going to work for you, then it's likely not the right role for you and you will find the right role and move on. Um, if you continue to tell yourself, I want this job, I want this job, but they're not able to get you um, to where you need to be through the negotiation, then you probably want that job and the negotiation is not as important to you as you thought that it once was. That dollar amount may not be as important. Um, and I would, I would encourage people, kind of the third bucket is to have some agility, right? Have some fluidity. If they come back and they ask for a response immediately and you need a minute to think about that, then you need to ask for it um, and, and be vocal for yourself, um, but, but also be flexible. The title could change based on your background, based on their leveling, based on a number of factors. And so really hear the full offer, digest the full offer and um, ensure that you go back with some options as, 
as you negotiate for what works best for you. Awesome. And, and what about during the negotiation? When you're feeling think, the jitters and ooh. <laughs> I think during the negotiation, I would encourage people to just be patient. Things take time. And especially if you're at a small company where every dollar may matter. And when you're at a larger company where there are multiple things happening at one time, if people can't get back to you immediately, it doesn't mean they don't want you. It doesn't mean that they're finding someone else. Um, it probably means that they're doing something else or they're, you know, they've got other things on their plate or, you know, maybe they're uh, took a PTO. You have no idea what, you know, what is happening behind the curtain. So be patient. Um, do not negotiate with yourself. If there's one thing that I could tell anyone, that's it. Um, you know, if the company is making you make the first number move and they're not making it themselves, um, you really need to think about what you're going to go forward with, but then don't continue to negotiate with yourself. If you've got to put the number forward, then they need to come back to something. It is a, um, you know, a volley and a return volley. If they're putting the number first to you, making the offer, then take some time to digest it and think about what you want to go back with, but don't go back again. You have to wait and be patient uh, to hear what they say. So patience and, um, and don't, and don't negotiate with yourself. And you just push one of my buttons there. Um, one of the things I'm really not a fan of is when companies like ask you what you want your salary to be. Um, Cause in my opinion, you should be, pay be being paid for the job that you're doing, not the job that you came from. And so um, I, I was actually interviewing once for a job and I did get the job and they asked me, what do you make right now? Well, I was still on a British salary, which are way lower than salaries in the U S. And so I held back. I said, I, I don't understand, um, you know, the remuneration packages is different here in the US. I've got quite a complex package because I'm an expat. What do you offer for the role? And he gave me a number. That number was way higher than what I would have said. So I did a victory dance around the room. <laughs> and um, when I got the offer, it was only a, a couple of thousand less than what he'd said in that conversation. So I think sometimes not revealing too much too quickly can actually help your case. I think that that's great. And that's great counsel. It doesn't always work that way. So you got mm -hmm. very lucky. Uh, yep. Some companies will not talk to you unless you're willing to put out some form of a number, because if you're a hundred grand over, they can pay you. It's not valuable to continue the conversation, mm -hmm. which is why you do your research before yeah. you have that conversation to know, are we in some form of um, a similar ballpark? Uh, some people will not continue the conversation, but I agree with you. You know, obviously you'd love to hear what they're going to offer because if they come in, it's hundred grand less than you wanted to make. It's not valuable for your time. So mm -hmm. that is a, that is a delicate dance that you have to do with a talent acquisition team. And as you're negotiating uh, any form of contract, but um, you know, it's certainly, it's certainly knowing your research kind of going in to have that yeah. conversation, I think is, is very valuable because some people will play that way and some people will not. I would just love for companies to stop asking, what do you currently earn? Yeah. And I think there's, it's a disadvantage for some other than, you know, others, especially in the defense mm -hmm. space, because if you're transitioning from the military and we know what rank you are, if you're transitioning from government, we know what, um, you know, where you're at on the government scale. If you're transitioning from the Hill, my word, Google your name and your salary, go look at my salaries from a few years back. You know, that's all public in the public domain. And, and that is also not fair, you know, because 
I always say working on Capitol Hill, it's like dog years. So you should probably pay me a little bit more since I made nothing for the nearly six <laughs> years I was there um, back then. And, and so, you know, it's a different value. You know, you have to, dollars do not just convey dollars. But they, you know, you need to take in the value of what people have done, their experience. That's why in a lot of things you'll see experience or education or, you know, time and grade or, and those ors are very valuable because they, they do tell the whole package of, of what someone is bringing to the table. I love that. And, and I think that's probably quite telling when companies put their job descriptions out, look the number of ors in there, because that means they're willing to consider alternative uh, routes into the role. I like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, my final question today is, uh, in the context of negotiation, yeah. for women that have successfully negotiated, while breaking through the glass ceiling, what can they be doing to help the women coming up behind them? I think that women who have broken through the glass ceiling or are starting to even, I think that they can mentor women that are coming behind them. Um, I think a lot of us have started in a room where we were maybe the only woman at the table, at the leadership table. And, uh, you know, I certainly started in the room behind the leadership table against the back wall. Uh, and I just wanted a seat at the table, right? And now that I have a seat at the table, I want the women on the back wall to have a seat at the table beside me. And the way that I can get them there and advocate for them is to know them and um, engage with them and talk with them and build a network. I want to be a part of their network and I certainly want them to be a part of mine. Um, so that, that is something that I'm committed to doing. And I know a lot of the women in, you know, in my circle feel the same way. Most of us in, in the defense space want to ensure that there is inside of government, on Capitol Hill, working in the ledge branch, working for the administration, transitioning amongst any of those things, um, or working in the private sector. Um, you know, we want, we want to see women come up and be successful. And, you know, when I look across, you know, the C-suite offices now to when I first started, um, you know, in the early 2000s, it's amazing to see CEOs at the helm. And gosh, just at GM alone, we've got an, an incredible CEO running this business. Um, and, and I look to her and, and her vision and what she's doing and bringing forward and who's on her senior leadership team and it just gives me a lot of hope for for where we're moving in the future and I want to be that kind of leader as well yeah absolutely and I love what you say about talking about your network um I mean I, this morning I was on the phone with somebody who is a lobbyist for a major aerospace and defense company and she was telling me that you know somebody reached out to her on LinkedIn you know wanted to pick her brain and she gave her 45 minutes so there's a lot of women that actually want to give back so one of my favorite phrases is don't ask don't get you know what's the worst that can happen if you reach out to ask for some advice you know they say no they don't read your email you haven't lost anything yeah that's that's great I mean I get pinged a lot on LinkedIn I think a lot of people that are active on LinkedIn as as you definitely are get pinged a lot and and I would just be honest if you ask me a, a pretty point question or say can I get 15 minutes with you the likelihood of you getting it is pretty high if I can't give it, I'll just be very open about that and very vocal. And, and same thing with, you know, any leader that I am uh, kind of around and I'm seeing these, these open door calls, these open door policies to ensure, yeah, we can, we can bring you forward if we have those conversations. And it doesn't have to be in my industry or not. One of my favorite mentees works for, for Disney and has nothing to do with the defense industry and 
we talk pretty regularly about what she's doing and what she's working on and, and ensuring that I can help her be the, you know, the best leader in, in her own uh, tradecraft. So, you know, reach out to those that you think are bringing value regardless of what field they're working in. It doesn't have to be government relations. It doesn't have to be Hill work. It doesn't have to be legislative affairs. Um, it could be any number of things if you like the way that someone presents themselves and you're tracking their career and seeing what they're doing. Um, reach out and, um, and have those questions asked because otherwise they won't be answered. I love that. And especially the number 15, that seems to be the magic number that works for me in getting time with people. So. 15 remember that <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier to squeeze in 15 than 45 that's for sure absolutely well Angela do you have any parting words as we wrap up today well I just want to thank you so much for taking the time I think that you are doing amazing things with leading ladies of and um you know I'm happy to be a part of it but I know defense is happy to um be a part of it and continue to sponsor great work that you guys are doing. And I just want to encourage your listeners and as your listeners expand beyond defense, and I know that it's a much larger community and it's uh, certainly larger than just the U.S., um, that you know, negotiation is not scary and not intimidating if you don't allow it to be. So I hate to use that crazy word again, but if you can take the emotion out of it and just think about um, your work and your value and be authentic in your conversations, um, it's a lot less intimidating than you think because people want to bring you on. They want you to join their companies. They want you to join their teams. That's why you got that far. You made it to the negotiation. Know that that means you're bringing some value with that conversation. Um, and I just wish everyone the best of luck as they advocate for themselves in the future. Ah, feeling all warm and bubbly inside right now. I just, oh, you made me a little bit emotional. <laughs> Well, for all of our listeners, know that you can join us on March 18th at the Leading Ladies of Defence Summit, where Angela is going to be the opening keynote. And uh, do you want to share what you're going to talk about in your opening keynote, Angela? I think we'll continue on the path. This is, as I was saying earlier, this is a little bit one leg of it. But I think for me, value proposition and really knowing who you are, value proposition as being an authentic leader is what we'll, we'll talk about on the 18th. And I look very forward to that conversation. Yeah, me too. So yeah, join us, head over to www.leadingladiesof.com and you can sign up for this amazing event that we're hosting. And I can tell you when you get 15 minutes of Angela, where I'm not interrupting her, you are going to be bouncing off your chair. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. We hope you now have additional tools and insights for creating your own cracks in the glass ceiling. If you think this will inspire and help others, please share this episode on your social media and leave your comments on akaiunlimited.com forward slash podcast. For more tips and support as you embrace your journey through the glass ceiling, please join our community Facebook group at leadingladiesoffb.com.